You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Well, you saw a couple pictures of me there as a youngster, and I was probably what you would call a normal kid. I mean, if there's such a thing as normal. I played hard all day, and I slept hard at night. But it wasn't uncommon for me to wake up in the middle of the night with excruciating pain in one of my calves or one of my knees. And I would complain, I would cry, and I would, I would just suffer in my misery there. And then my parents, eventually, one of them would come in and they would rub a little icy hot type liniment on that affected area. And eventually I would go back to sleep. My parents said, those are growing pains. They're normal. They're normal. They're growing pains. And you know, if you've ever had them, you know there's nothing exciting or fun about them. But they're normal. They're normal. If you're going to grow, they're normal. And growing pains don't just happen for us in our physical bodies, but they actually happen in organizations as well. And they can be as difficult for organizations to address as they are when we're dealing with them in our own physical bodies. Think about it. A business or a university, even a church grows, and as it grows, it has growing pains. As a, an institution expands, its systems get stretched because they need to grow also. The systems of a church, the, the functions of a church need to expand as well as the organization grows. If you're an organization... You need to grow as an organization in order to facilitate the the institutional growth. Or eventually, you'll stop growing. You may even back up some and decline. Well, We recognized a while back the need to address our growing pains. And some of you may say, well, why is it so important for us as a church to address these kinds of things? Well, let me tell you why. Our objective is to reach the people of Hamburg with the message that God loves the people of the 40509. And he doesn't want any of them to perish. And our goal is to be prepared for those people when they come. In fact, you may be here for the very first time today, and I want you to know that there have been people who have been praying and preparing just so you could have an encounter with God. So if that's true, we have an objective and we want to see it through, why is it so important then that we address it now? Well, I want to tell you why. Over the summer months, we have noticed several indications that we're growing. We're growing. There are typical statistical numbers that we monitor and and watch over the course of time, and those tend to drop during the summer months. Across the board, they tend to drop. Except this year, they haven't done that. We're averaging nearly 100 more this summer as compared to last summer when you look at our attendance models. Attendance has been almost consistent since the spring. That normally doesn't happen that way. We've seen significant increases in first-time visitors and those attending our first step class, which is where you go to find out how to become an owner or how to get plugged in around here. We've had more students this summer 
middle school and high school students go to our summer conferences than ever before. And this is a cool stat. The children's ministry attendance that we've, we monitor as we monitor all of it. But we've noticed that this summer's attendance is actually higher than last fall's attendance. And the fall typically is one of the largest attendance times of the year. Something is going on. And on top of all of that, one of the, one of the key pieces of information I thought was most telling about our growth was we have now over 100 adults that are involved in discipling groups. That's amazing. When you think there's roughly about a seventh to an eighth of our adult, of our, uh, of our total population that are involved in discipling groups, these are signs of growth. These are signs of growth. So as we plan for our fall, we recognize that we need to be preparing for possible increases because if we're, trends are what they are during the summer, they indicate that we'll likely see additional growth come the fall. In fact, it's possible this may be the best fall we've had in a long, long time. One of the things we know about growth, though, is that if you don't prepare for it, it will tax our ministries. So we need to prepare. We need to address these growing pains so that new people have an opportunity to have an encounter with God. So we want to look at what the scripture has to say about preparation and why we should do it. And if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The Apostle Paul gives us some real pertinent insights for preparation here. He says this in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner for the Lord, then. Now let me give you a little bit of background here. When Paul writes a letter... He's very consistent this way. He will spend the first half of the letter talking about doctrine and the second half of the letter talking about the duty of a follower or the responsibilities of a follower. And Ephesians is a great example of this. The first three chapters focus on doctrine. And starting here, he transitions into this whole discussion about the responsibility of the Christian. Paul transitions with this phrase... As a prisoner for the Lord, then. Okay, now that then, that's the transitional word. That conjunction that he uses there says, hey, what has happened in the last three chapters is setting the table for what is necessary to happen in the next three chapters. He's talking about what is logical. Our response should be to the first three chapters. The next three chapters are a logical response to that. That's what he's pointing to. Now, I like what Paul says here in this phrase, as a prisoner for the Lord. He's not being dramatic here. Paul writes this while being chained to a a Roman soldier, but he's not saying like a drama queen, you know, hey, I am chained to a Roman soldier, and I'm waiting on a Roman court to determine whether or not I live or if I die. That's not what he's saying. But this, this phrase, as a prisoner for the Lord, gives his readers a reason to pay attention. Paul has earned that respect for those who will read this letter because he is chained to a Roman soldier. He is incarcerated while he writes this. So let's listen to what he has to say. 
At the very last part, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, and he's beginning now the second part of the the responsibility portion of his letter. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you. That word urge originally meant to call to one side. It's not a directive. It's not an order. It's a kind of an appeal where the the speaker is inviting someone to come with them, to join them in doing something. It was a common, a common inspiring call to public service if you urged someone, or to military service if you were urging them to serve. Paul is urging his readers. He's enlisting them, as well as us today, to live worthy of our calling. Live worthy of your calling. What Paul is urging his readers to do here is to recognize the purpose that God has called them to and live your life accordingly. He says this, as uh, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Worthy. What does that word mean? Well, in the Greek, he's referring to a high standard. A high standard which Christians should live his or her life by. To live, to be content living anything less would be unworthy. Paul's calling his readers, he's calling us, to a very high standard. To live in accordance to the call that God has put in your life. He gave the same kind of admonition to the church in Colossae. He said this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Live your life for the Lord, Paul says. Whatever he calls you to do, do it with all your heart. Live your life worthy of the calling that God has called you to. In this text, we're going to see in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we're going to find there are three ways that Paul gives us that we can accomplish this calling, to live this life worthy of the calling that God has given to us. And when we do this, we'll find that we're actually preparing ourselves for what is to come. If we live worthy of the calling, we are actually making preparations for what God has in store for us in the future. So let's take a look at the very first way that Paul recommends or encourages us to live a life worthy of the calling, and that is to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Look what he says in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What's he saying there? Well, he starts off with the phrase, but to each one of us. What Paul is talking about here is that each of us need to take our individual positions in this organization. We need to take our specific positions of service. The individual functions of each member will strengthen the church. It will benefit the mission of the church. He goes on and he says, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The ability of each member... To perform his or her assigned service is described in the words, grace has been given. When Paul talks about grace here, he's talking about the responsibility that a believer is involved in or called to. And every one of us has a responsibility that Jesus has called us to. We read about 
the unique nature of all of your different gifts and abilities in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Paul points out that the church is a lot like a human body. There are all these different parts and they have all these different functions. Each part has a specific responsibility. I mean, you have your feet, which are there for walking. You have your hands there for grabbing things or holding things. You have your ears for hearing, your eyes for seeing, your nose for smelling. We who are part of the church are supposed to function in the church to fulfill the responsibility that God calls us to. The concept of an inactive member is actually an oxymoron. That concept doesn't make sense. Biblically speaking, there is no such thing as an inactive church member. So we should do our best to serve in the church and serve with the church for the purpose of bringing glory to God. You see, every one of us has a function. Every one of us is important. Every one of us plays a part. And it's important that every one of us play his or her part. Paul talks about this in, to the Roman church as well. Look what he says. So in Christ, though we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts and according to the grace given to each of us. And the Apostle Peter, he chimes in on this as well. He says, each Christian uses whatever gift he, re- he has received to serve others, faithfully ministry God's, ministering God's grace in its various forms. Every one of us, living a life worthy of our calling, always involves serving the Lord. Always. Tom Rayner, in his book, I Am a Church Member, writes, One of the ongoing questions you should ask yourself and God in prayer is, How can I best serve my church? You should never ask yourself if you should be serving your church. If you are a member, you must be a functioning member. It's just that simple. So, how does a person get started in serving the Lord? In the context of the church... How does a person get started in doing that? Well, let me tell you a couple things. The first one is this. If you're brand new here, if you've been here less than a month, you get a pass. You get to listen in on some kind of uh, shop talk, if you will. But I'm not talking to you. I know you're probably here checking this place out. You may even be asking really important questions about who Jesus is and you want to know more about that. So what we're going to talk about today is not directed at you. But if you have been here for a month or longer and you're considering this is your church, even if you haven't become an owner here, this is your church. You're beginning to put down some roots. You're beginning to put down some uh, foundational relational connections here. I want to ask you a question. Will you serve? Simple question. Will you serve? There's two things about serving that you need to know. And the first one is a bit, I wrote it in the context of a metaphor. And that is, pick up an oar and row. Pick up an oar and row. You do not have to be an Olympic canoeer 
or kayaker in order to enjoy rowing. If you've ever been canoeing, you get in a canoe, the guide gives you a little tutorial. Even if you're doing some kind of, you know, one or two, three, four class, you know, uh, rapids on a, on a raft. They give you a tutorial on how to row, and about four or five minutes later, you kind of got it, Right? There are certain areas in the church that are not really complex. They're general ministry areas that require a lot of involvement, but they don't require a lot of skill and oftentimes, no offense, but not a lot of ability. It's simple to say, most everybody can do these general ministry areas. And we have two of those that we recruit for three or four times a year. The first one is children's ministry. Children's ministry. Every week, on average, just about every week, 20% of our attendance is in birth through fifth graders. That's a lot. That is a lot. It takes a lot of people to staff our children's ministry area over the course of a month's time. There's a second area, it's called what we call guest services. These are the friendly people who greet you in all these different areas where you're checking in, you're coming through a door, or you're getting donuts and coffee. These are the people. Now, one of the things that uh, researchers tell us, this is a very interesting piece of data about this ministry area. They tell us that most people who will visit our church will decide whether or not they are going to come back a second time, before the very first note of the worship service is played. Before anybody prays, before any sermon is preached, before anything happens in here, they have already decided, the majority of them, have already decided whether or not they're going to come back again. And they base that upon how friendly and helpful the people out in these beginning first touch areas, what we call guest services, what they, their experience with them is. I had somebody tell me not long ago, they said, your people who are greeting are amazing. I honestly felt like they genuinely wanted me here. They were happy that I was here. And I was so proud of Susan Walden and our team. So, how do you start? Very simple. Pick up an oar and row. Take this out. Everybody, if you got one of these, will you take it out? Will you do me a favor? Just hold it up and kind of wave it at me. It's a little warm up here. Thank you. Look at that. I feel like I'm in a charismatic church all of a sudden. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, just kidding for those of you from that background. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, Do this, okay? It's a tutorial right now, okay? You can see it on YouTube later. Um, Take that bottom part. You can put that in your Bible. You can continue to take notes. Take this side, the dark side, fill it out. This is your personal information. Everybody should fill this out. Everyone should fill this out. Then flip it over. And on this other side, you'll see a box here. And it says, I want to volunteer in guest services or children's. Check one of those boxes. Fill this side out. And then check one of those boxes that you think you could do uh, one hour a month in. One hour a month. Have you ever heard the phrase, more hands lighten the load? If more people sign up in those two areas, it will make everybody's job here a whole lot more fulfilling. It doesn't make it necessarily easier, but it just makes it better. 
It makes it better. Some of you may want to sign, you may want to check both of those boxes. You may want to check, that's about two and a half hours, maybe, a month. If you were to, do, if, I'm, if I am adding it all up, and you were just to serve in, one, in both of those areas, one time a month, that's at the most, maybe two and a half to three hours a month. That's it. That's it. Everyone needs to pick up an oar and start to row. We need that. There are people who don't know Christ yet who need that. You will be helping to create environments where people will encounter us for the very first time. And we want that to be the best experience they can have because we're representing the kingdom of God. I don't want to be dramatic, but I want to be honest. We want to give our very best in these areas. All right, there's a second piece to to this whole idea of serving, and that is using your spiritual gift. In Acts 2.38, it says, repent, it talks about repenting, and then being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit kind of scares a lot of people, but the truth of the matter is, is that we know when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God moves into our hearts, and we begin to use the spiritual gifts that he gives to us, or at least they're available to us. He equips us for ministry. If you go to our website, is there a picture of that, a screenshot of that? No, okay, never mind. Uh, If you go to our website, and if this were imagined that the site just came up, on the toolbar at the very top, over here on the right side, you would see a, a, a tab that would say spiritual gifts test or something like that. Click on that, it will take you to a test that will give you a little bit of insight into maybe, possibly, where you're gifted. These are not exact sciences, but they give you a little bit of an idea. And what I want to encourage you to do is this. Once you've identified your gift, use it to serve the Lord. Find a way to plug that gift into kingdom works. All right? So the first thing that Paul calls us to is to serve the Lord. The second thing that he calls us to do in order to live a life worthy of our calling is to encourage others to serve. Encourage others to serve. Listen to what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What, what Paul's saying here is Jesus gave us all of these leaders in order to equip his people for works of service. There is a guy on our staff who truly, if you look at his life, it is a perfect example of what Paul is talking about here. About how leaders equipped and encouraged and now he's an equipper and an encourager. And I'm talking about Todd Fox. He's really a humble guy, so, and he's in here. So if everyone would look... No, I'm just kidding. He, he, I know he's, he's embarrassed. I ask his permission. I appreciate his willingness to let me use his journey as an example. But he's a perfect example. He came here in 2004, 2005. He was a single guy. He, was involved in, he got involved in student ministry, helping out there. He got married in 06, definitely upgraded his status. If you know his wife, it was a great blessing. And uh, so he's got this, he's got this uh, young marriage, young family then, and, uh, and he, had a, he had a good job. Everybody that knew Todd, they like him. It's just, he's, he's a great guy. I wouldn't say he's a regular guy because he's better than that. 
Well, then he and Kelly get involved in the Journeys class, and they start, you know, uh, they get to know Stephen Pat Smith, and they start pouring into them, and the, the journey is such that they, they start getting connected around here. And then, in the spring of 2010, Steve Idle, who was the lead pastor here at the time, invited Todd and Kelly to be part of a new life group that they were starting in their neighborhood. And they said, sure, and they got involved in that. And before long, Steve couldn't be there one night, and he tapped Todd on the shoulder and said, hey, will you lead the group? And Todd did. And it was a stretch for him a little bit, but he did a great job, and there was something in him. He enjoyed it. It was, it was m- meaningful to him. And then it wasn't long after that. It was July of that same year, 2010, that a guy by the name of Alan Sheely asked Todd, hey, would you like to be part of a men's discipleship group? And Todd said, Sure. I don't know how much convincing, you know, Todd's rendition, sure, he just agreed, you know. I don't know how much convincing it took, but Todd shows up on Tuesday night, and they start studying the Bible together and praying together. And before long, Todd said, I started noticing that I was growing. I was growing spiritually. So Todd invites a bunch of his, his buddies, guys he knows, to come and be part of that as well. So Paul and Phil and Stephen and Ryan, they all show up, and they start growing. It's kind of amazing. And then something really important happened in Todd's life. Some of us might say it was a tragedy, but really it was one of those crossroads in his life. Todd lost his job. His company, great company, went through a corporate downsizing, as a lot of companies did, you know, in the quote-unquote recession. And Todd found himself without a job, good severance, but trying to figure out what he was going to do. So he contacted us and said, hey, could you use me? I mean, I've, I've got this time. I'd love to do something more than just sit around and watch television. So he showed up here. We put him to work. And through the generosity of a number of people in this church, we were able to put together an internship for Todd. And so in November of 2011, he started as an intern. And by the spring of that year, of that next year, uh, we had an opening and we filled it with him. And we asked him to head up our discipleship area. And it was amazing to me, when you think about a hundred people that are in discipleship groups, not to mention classes and Bible studies, all because this guy has a passion. There was an equipping that the Stephen Pats and the Steve Idols and the Alan Sheelys of the world were pouring into him and challenging him and encouraging him. Here's the deal. I am convinced, because of all of that, into one young man, who says yes to all of those opportunities, there will be people in heaven someday because of that equipping, that investment, and that faithful testimony to equip the people for works of service. Paul says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. The whole point of this is to grow the body. That's what we're talking about here, is preparing to deal with the growing pains, to to create space and opportunity for people to grow. When all the parts of the body are working, the body grows and matures. People mature spiritually when they are serving the Lord. As long as the followers of Jesus are merely consumers of the programs and the products of the church, we will remain a spiritually immature and oftentimes very selfish church. But when we serve, we grow spiritually. 
Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve. And that should be our focus as well. To learn the satisfaction that comes from being concerned about meeting the needs of others. That should be our focus. To encourage and equip others to serve him. So, serve the Lord. Encourage others to serve him. And the third, the third way that Paul gives us to live worthy of our calling is to remember this. It takes all of us. It takes all of us to accomplish this. Look what he says in verse 16. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The first thing that he says in this verse is that each part does its work. It works when everybody pitches in. When each one does his or her part. And then he says we not only, we not only need to do our part, but when we do, it grows and builds itself up. As branches get their life and strength from the vine, we as the church draw our spiritual energy and vitality from a healthy, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll grow and we will build up the church through that connection. And this growth, it's a continual process. Coming through disciples who are united together in purpose, in a cause. He uses two words here that are real interesting. Look at uh, that verse 16 again. He says, from him the whole body joined and held together. These two words, joined and held together. Really interesting words. In the Greek, the word joined means harmoniously fit together. It's like snapping pieces of a puzzle in. They just fit. They fit. Paul's saying that when we're joined together in this cause and this purpose, we fit together And then he says, held together, which means they firmly are knit together. It's like a fabric that's really tight. It's woven very tightly together. That's us. We fit together and we are woven or knit together. So that just as the hands and the feet are connected by joints and ligaments of the body, so too we would be connected together, fit together. The key to godly growth that accomplishes the purpose of Jesus is for every part of the body to function. The leadership can't do all the ministry. It was never designed that way. They will never be able to do the ministry alone. Disciples were not meant to just sit around and watch others perform. It takes all of us. What happens when somebody doesn't get involved in serving? Well, several things can happen. On the very best day... It is possible that everyone will kind of close ranks and come together and cover those missing spots. When a person is missing, whether they didn't show up one day for, to serve or they never signed up, people are going to have to fill in those gaps. And a lot of times, on occasion, it all comes together and people don't notice. But you can't live that way because more likely... When that happens, something doesn't get done. Or at least it isn't done well. Or there are at least, it's done less efficiently. And it shows. It shows. If people have to cover for others or have to take on too many responsibilities in order to get things done week after week after week, eventually some of those faithful people will eventually burn out. And that's never good. Steve Campbell said, salvation is free, 
But serving Christ will cost you. And we know that. As we're preparing for growth, it's going to cost us time and energy, and it's going to cost us some resources. But it's worth it when we believe in the cause. Our goal here is to be the best Great Commission church that we can be. We want to reach people who are outside the family of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will attempt to convince them their need to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We do not want them to miss out on eternity with him. And when those people finally take that step and accept Jesus, then we want to teach them what the Word of God has to say so that they're equipped with the help of the Holy Spirit to convince others that they need Jesus as well. So the big question this morning is this. How committed are you to the cause? To the cause of seeing people come into a relationship with Jesus. I want to close with a story about a doctor by the name of Evan O'Neill Kane. Like most physicians who have a lot of experience, Dr. Kane had become preoccupied with a particular medical issue. He'd seen it a lot during his, his, uh, his career. His concern was about the use of general anesthesia during surgery. He believed that most operations could be and should be performed under a local anesthetic. In his opinion, the hazards of general anesthesia far outweighed the risks of the surgery itself. Dr. Kane's medical mission was this, to prove to his colleagues once and for all the viability of using just local anesthesia for appropriate surgeries. In his 37 years, Dr. Kane had performed nearly 4,000 appendectomies. But the next appendectomy would be routine in every single way except for one. Dr. Kane's patient would remain awake through the surgical procedure under local anesthesia. The operation was then scheduled for a Tuesday morning. The patient was prepped and then wheeled into the operating room. And the local anesthesia was then administered. And Dr. Kane began the surgery as he had thousands of times before. Through it all, the patient experienced only minor discomfort. The operation was completed and everyone said it was a success. And the patient, the patient did remarkably well. In fact, it was two days later that the patient left the hospital to go home to recuperate. All of this happened in the year 1921, almost 100 years ago. And Dr. Kane and his patient, who volunteered so willingly had a great deal in common because you see they were the exact same person Dr. Kane couldn't find anybody who would take this role so he did something that we can only imagine he actually took his own appendix out because Dr. Kane was so committed to the cause he operated on himself to prove his point here's the question how committed are you to God's cause? Are you willing to serve so that others might know Jesus? Are you willing to invest yourself so that people someday might be in heaven? How committed are you? Ask yourself, how committed are you to the cause that God has called you to? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of knowing you. I thank you that my sins are washed away that you have made what was scarlet now white as snow. 
that the stain of my sin is gone because Jesus washed it away by the blood that he shed on the cross. Lord, I know that there are people that do not know that. In fact, maybe some in this room today who have never taken that step to say yes to Jesus, to have their sins forgiven, and to have this life that he said that he came that we might have and have it abundantly. And not just in eternity, but even in this moment today and beyond. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you yet, that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray that all of us would link arms here, joined and held together in such a way that we say we are committed to this cause. Lord, help us to be a church that will not take anything less than our very, very best effort to bless you, to live a life worthy of the calling you've given to us so that others might come to know you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon those who will sign that card today and check a ministry area and say, hey, yes, I, you can count on me. I don't want to be a spectator any longer. Help us, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you one last time. Please sign that card. Please join us in serving. I don't want to use guilt. I want to appeal to the cause. Please don't feel guilty about that. If that's the case, don't sign it. Do not sign it. But if you can see how you could be connected in helping people come to know Jesus, then I ask that you sign it. And show up once a month. All hands lighten the load. More hands lighten the load. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is why we meet here every week. It's that people, we could celebrate him and that people will come to know him. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And as we do, if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be down front. There'll be a few others of us down here. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you, or you want to know more about what it means or how to get connected here as part of this family, become an owner at Northeast. We'd love to talk to you about that as well. Whatever the case is, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand together. Let's worship him and celebrate his goodness.